Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Well, thank you very much, Peter, for reading for us. Good evening, everyone. Very good to see so many of you uh, here tonight. Let me add my welcome to that of uh, Andy earlier on. In case you don't know who I am, my name's Chris Tufnell. I'm uh, on the staff here, and I've got a real treat tonight because I get to talk to you about uh, those uh, words that we've just heard read um, from the Bible. So tonight we are looking at one of the most famous stories or parables that Jesus ever told, a parable being simply a story with a meaning to it. And for centuries, the parable that we've just heard read has been called the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, You'll see in our church Bibles, it's been given the title by someone, the parable of the lost son. But both of those titles really miss the point because this is not a story about a son. It's a story about two sons. And it's not just about them. It's also about their father. And for that reason, some have given it the name the parable of the lost sons. Um, Others have called it the parable of the running father. And both of those are getting a little bit closer to the point. Because this parable is about two sons and how they relate to their father. And what this parable gives us is a radically new way of understanding what God is like and how we're supposed to relate to him. Christianity is completely unique among the religions of the world in the way that it conceives of God and how we're supposed to relate to him. In fact, in the first couple of hundred years of Christianity, the Romans called Christians atheists because they thought Christians just think so differently to other religions that they don't kind of, they shouldn't really be put in the same category. And I think in that they were actually quite right. What we see here in this parable tonight blows the doors off religion as traditionally conceived and gives us a totally new way to relate to God. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at this parable and then we're going to see what message Jesus wants to teach us through it. So first, the story. Let's look at the story. It begins with two sons. Take a look down at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one made an outrageously offensive request of his father. See what he says in verse 12. Father, give me my share of the estate. We might think that sounds pretty innocent, but think it through. This is the most profoundly offensive thing that a son could say to his father. He's essentially saying, Father, all that stuff that I'm going to inherit when you die, I want it now. I'm impatient for your death. I want your stuff, and I don't want you. Now, in any society, that would be offensive, wouldn't it? But particularly in a highly patriarchal society, like the one that Jesus is speaking this parable into, those listening to him can have only expected one thing from this father, and that would have been to throw this son out of the family home, probably violently. How dare you? And that's why the end of verse 12 would have been as much of a surprise to Jesus' hearers as the first half of it. It says at the end of verse 12, what did the father do? It says, so he divided his property between them. Now, in that culture, that would have been a very public and embarrassing thing for the father. Back then, people's wealth wasn't easily transferable. He couldn't have gone, oh, go on then, lad, give me a sort code and your account number, I'll make a transfer. Everyone's wealth was tied up in land and livestock. It it took time to sell and dissolve your assets. It was public. And given the circumstances, it would have been profoundly embarrassing for this father. And all this is part of what makes this father's behavior such a shock to those listening to this parable. Rather than rebuking his son, 
He gives him what he asks for. And once it's all gone through, not long after that, verse 13, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. So he takes the stuff and heads far away from the father. As clear an indication as he could have given that he wanted nothing to do with the father. And now he's got what every restless teenager dreams of, right? He's loaded and far away from the watching eye of mum and dad. It's like Freshers' Week when the student loans just rolled in. Cha-ching. And what's he going to do? Well, you barely need to read on, do you? Of course we know what he's going to do. He blows it. Verse 13, it says, He squandered his wealth in wild living. All his money poured into bars and brothels. And when he's left with nothing, there's a famine, he's starving, he gets the only job that he can find feeding pigs, and how the mighty have fallen, right? He's gone from the penthouse to the pigsty. And there he is, literally in the mud and starving, when he finally comes to his senses. He kind of sees what he's become. And he starts to form a plan. Verse 17. Follow along with me, if you would, from verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Now imagine the long walk home from that distant country. Hungry, filthy, mile after mile of barefooted trekking, filled with regret, feeling foolish and scared, rehearsing his speech to his father, wondering what sort of reception he'll receive, imagining the father's rebuke, what punishment he might be given, the look of disappointment on his father's face when he tells him that all of the money's gone. Perhaps it all seems so horrible that he imagines turning back for a minute, but then his tummy rumbles, he remembers the pigs, and so he presses on, on towards home. And after days of traveling, now weak and near collapse, the landscape is slowly becoming familiar. He comes to places he knows well, sensing now that each step is bringing him closer to home and the pain of a father's rebuke that he has no choice but to face. And then he turns a corner and seeing in the distance the family home, he's struck with both relief that his journey is nearing an end, but also fear about what comes next. On he goes, another mile or so to go, when after a few minutes he looks up and sees a cloud of dust being kicked up on the road far ahead. And then a shape, a person, someone's coming, they're waving their arms, and he can just make out some shouting. Someone's coming for him, he panics, but there's nowhere to hide, and he's too weak to run, and so he watches helplessly as this figure approaches him. And then, as though he's in an unfolding nightmare, he begins to recognize that figure as his father. He doubts it at first. He'd never seen his father run. Men didn't run in that culture. It was seen as undignified and shameful. But he hears him shouting his name, and he knows it's his dad. So he resigns himself to whatever beating or tirade of abuse he's about to receive. And as the gap closes, his father doesn't slow down. He charges ahead, launching himself at him. But the shock of his life 
It's not an attack. He feels his father burying his face in his neck, sobbing and kissing him, crying out, my boy, my boy, oh my boy, you're home at last, my boy is home. What had led to this most unexpected moment? Jesus explains in verse 20, verse 20. have a look. <clears throat> While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Jesus comes and tells the world what God the Father is really like, and he does it with this portrait of a running father and a passionate embrace. Is that how you've thought of God? A totally new way to conceive of God. It left the son in the parable in shock, and apparently on autopilot, he launches into the speech that he's prepared. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he's not allowed to finish the speech because close behind the father come some breathless servants. And verse 22, the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And as the preparations are made, you can see the father with his arm around his son, leading him back up the road towards the house. The son left speechless, blown away by a love and a welcome he could never have possibly imagined could be his. This is the portrait that Jesus gives us of God. A father full of love and longing, desperate for his son to come home, delighted when he does. When did you last receive love like this? Maybe a long time ago, maybe never. Maybe this is the sort of father that you wish you'd had. Maybe your father did love you, did love you does love you, but never really showed it. Or maybe he never said it, you never heard those words from him, I love you. Whatever our experience of our earthly fathers, Jesus wants us to see that we do have a father who loves us and who shows it and says it so that we could never be in any doubt. A father bursting with love for his children, pouring out his love and favor here on a son who deserved only his rebuke. A son come home, a running father. But as we saw right at the start, this is not a parable about one son, it's about two sons, and we've only met one so far, and so let's look at the older one. He had been out in the fields, and now he's coming home after a hard day's work. And verse 25, again, just follow along from verse 25, if you would. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when your son, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And did you notice how offensively he spoke to his father? He didn't address him with the sort of respect that would have uh, been common in this sort of culture. Instead, he says, look, oi, you, listen to me. And did you notice the mindset of the older brother? I've been slaving for you. All these years, he has the mindset of a slave. And did you see what he wanted all along? You never gave me even a young goat But this reckless son of yours, he gets the fattened calf. What did he want? He wanted the father's stuff. And he's angry because he's slaved away and hasn't got it. Now the key that unlocks this parable and opens it up for us to understand is to see who it was that Jesus was speaking to, who he was telling this parable to. So just look back to verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, that is to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And as soon as we see that, we begin to make sense of who these sons are and what this parable is all about. The tax collectors and sinners are the younger son. They're people who have lived life far from God. They've done things that are obviously bad. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the older son. They're upright and good. They always play by the rules. And through this parable, Jesus is trying to show the two groups of people listening to him who look so different from each other that actually they're very alike, very alike. And they're both conceiving of God wrongly and relating to him wrongly. Consider for a moment how these two sons are so alike. Both were far from the father. It was just harder to see with the older son because he spent so much of his time geographically, physically close to the father. He's doing the right thing, helping with the washing up, always back home by 10. But relationally, just as distant from the father as the younger son. Both had the mentality of slaves rather than sons and saw their father as a hard master, a tyrant. The younger son threw off the chains and ran away. The other wearily bore them in the hope of some reward. All these years I've been slaving for you. And both were incredibly offensive to their father. Why? Because they didn't want him. They wanted his stuff. They both wanted his stuff. They just went about getting it different ways. One by taking his stuff and running, the other by staying and working hard to get it. And so his complaint at the end, you never even gave me a young goat. And like these two sons, Jesus says, we all, not just those that Jesus was speaking to, but all humanity relate to God the Father in the wrong way. Not only do we think of him wrongly, we relate to him wrongly. Our hearts are far from him. We think like slaves And we think of him as a tyrant. And we treat him disgracefully. Because we don't want him, we want his stuff. We all try to get control of our lives, either by running away from God or by staying close in the hope that he might give us what we really want. Those of us who are like the younger son, 
throw off the chains. We want to be progressive and liberally minded. So we throw off the patriarchal constraints of religion and live our own way. We get as far away as possible from God because we want control of our lives. But others, and this, I confess, is the trap I'm much more likely to fall into, and I suspect most of us here, others of us go about it the very opposite way. We're very careful to do good. I'm kind, I give to charity, I buy ethically, I'm environmentally responsible, maybe I'm religious as well, I go to church and do all the things I'm supposed to. But why? That's the uncomfortable question that gets under our skin that we try to avoid, why? Why do I do those things? Really? Is it not because that way I feel like God or society or the universe somehow owes me one? It makes me feel good about myself, and it makes me feel entitled to good in return. And that's why we end up so angry when we don't get what we feel like we deserve in life. And especially when combined with others getting what we feel they don't deserve. But you see, that's not doing good because it's good, or for love of God. We do it to try to control the outcomes of our lives to get the stuff that we really want. The uncomfortable truth is that even our apparently good deeds are often done for shameful reasons. I don't want you, I just want your stuff. And here's how I'm gonna get it. We treat God as a means to an end. We take all his blessings of life and health, a home, money in the bank, friendships, love, we take it all and toss God to one side like a chocolate wrapper. Isn't that precisely what appalls us about the Me Too scandal? Men treating women as means to an end. Not seeing the person, just a means of gratifying their desires. Not bothered by the pain and misery they cause along the way. That's how we treat God. It's as though every time in our lives that we have walked away from God and lived our own way, we've left him standing there by the front door, watching us walk off down the road without him blind to the pain that we're causing him. It's a terrible way to treat a loving father. I don't want your stuff. Sorry, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. And the shocking thing at the end of this parable, the thing that should really grab our attention is that the younger son is in the house and the elder son is still outside, refusing to come home. And that's unbelievable, isn't it? The bad one gets in and the good one is left outside. Is that some kind of mistake? No. You see, I wouldn't be at all surprised if for most of us here tonight, the main thing that stands between us and God isn't our bad deeds, it's our good ones. It's not just our sins, but our self-righteousness that we need forgiveness for. How hard it is for us to admit when we've done wrong by the way we've done good. That's what keeps the elder brother out. This parable shows us that people want God's stuff, not God himself. But someone who's been changed by the good news of Jesus, and we've been hearing from from some friends like this tonight, those who have been changed by the good news of Jesus want God for himself. He is the treasure. So what turns a heart from wanting God's stuff to wanting God himself. It's seeing how much it cost him 
to bring us home. You might look at this parable and think, well, it didn't cost the father anything to bring the son home. He just went out and welcomed him home and brought him along the path. But it did cost someone. Did you notice it cost the elder brother? Look down at verse 31. Speaking to the elder son, the father said, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now think about it for a moment and you'll realize that's literally true. The father had split his estate between the younger son and the elder son. He had given the younger son what was his. And so everything that was left belonged ultimately to the elder son. Really, it was his. And so the cost of bringing the younger son home, the cost of giving him a place back in the family, the cost of the feast, had to be absorbed by the elder son. The reason Jesus put such a nasty elder brother in this parable is to show the Pharisees what they look like. They don't love their brother or celebrate his return. They aren't willing to absorb the cost of others' mistakes. They mutter and complain that Jesus welcomes bad people. And that Jesus is also trying to show them that this is not what he's like. He welcomed tax collectors and sinners and was willing to absorb the cost of bringing them home. You might ask, when did he do that? How? Answer, on the cross. One prophet wrote these words of Jesus long before he lived. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the cost of bringing us home by taking the punishment that should have been ours for our shameful treatment of God the Father. It wasn't free. It cost Jesus his life. He paid the greatest price to bring you and me home, and he did it because he loves us more than we would have ever believed possible. Three things that we need to see from this parable if we're to see what God is really like and if we're to relate to him rightly. Firstly, we need to see the running father. He runs. He runs because he loves. Not a tyrant to escape, but a father to embrace. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, he loves you. And he wants you home. He doesn't want slaves. He will hear no talk of it. He wants sons and daughters. You do have a father and you are precious to him. He loves you. He runs for you. See the running father. Secondly, see how we've treated him. As a means to an end, wanting his stuff but not him, either taking his blessings and running and ignoring him in life or doing all sorts of apparently good things but to get him to owe us one. By one means or another, trying to get the goods and ignore the God who gives them. And it's a painfully wrong way to treat a loving father. See the running father. See how we've treated him. Thirdly, see what it cost him to bring us home. This is what will change our hearts towards God. When we see that he gave his only son, Jesus, to bring us home. I remember this hitting me for a, in a whole new way when I first became a dad. I've got three boys now, but when my first William 
was born. I remember a few weeks after he was born, going to church, and we had him in the, uh, in the, in the baby carrier. And then the words came up, and we sang together those words. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And I couldn't finish singing the words because I thought, really? His only son? I wouldn't give my son for anything. Or the world, he would give his only son for me. And not just that the father would give him, but that the son, Jesus, would willingly come, my burden gladly bearing. Really? What love is this? What kind of love is this? He absorbed such a great cost to bring me home. He lost his life that I might be found. What love is this? See the running father. See how we've treated him. See what it costs him to bring us home. How do we respond to this tonight? Come home. That's how. Come home. Like the younger son, you won't be met with rebuke or scorn or retribution, but with a robe, a ring, a fattened calf, a feast. Most of all, more than any of that, you'll be met by a father who loves you more than even now you can know. He will stun you with his love. And he waits for you, his eyes fixed on the horizon, full of love and longing. And he comes out to you now to welcome you home. But the parable ends with the other son still outside and his father pleading with him to come home. He thought like a slave and never saw the treasure, the simple, wonderful treasure of a father who loved him. Don't make that same mistake tonight. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus wants you to know tonight, you have a father who loves you. And he waits for you. And his arms are open wide. Will you come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please forgive us that we have so misunderstood you. We have seen you as a tyrant to flee rather than a father to embrace. And we thank you that despite how we have treated you, despite the pain that we have caused you, you have come out to welcome us home and you have sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to absorb the cost of all of our sin. And we pray tonight that we would, each of us, see you for who you really are and relate to you rightly, not by seeking to serve you as slaves to earn your favor, but rather to run to you as sons and know your great love for us. And we pray that you would teach us now, tonight, for the rest of our lives to know you first and foremost as that running father who loves us, loves us more than we could ever dream. Amen.